What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod. A U.S. airstrike in Baghdad kills Iran's top military leader. We'll hear from Eurasia Group's Ian Bremmer. The world is better off without Soleimani on it. The campaign trail responds to the strike. Axios co-founder Mike Allen breaks down reactions from presidential hopefuls and politicos. Plus, Apple has hit a milestone. One of its earliest investors reflects on Apple's evolution and considers how much further it can run. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Friday, January 3rd, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Up and Becky, here. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is out today, but stocks are moving on the news that the U.S. killed Iran's top commander general, Qasem Soleimani, in a drone strike in Baghdad. But obviously, crude is uh, the real focus for what's happening here as tensions are on the rise in the Middle East. Energy stocks up 7 percent versus a market up 30 last year. And a lot of people are saying that's a place to look this year for some gains, for, for something that hasn't moved. And we're moving uh, crude from 60. All of a sudden, we're not moving right. from 52. Right. We're at a, I guess, based on some of the, uh, the tension was rising. Though, when you think of, of the heightened tensions, what this is going to mean, the potential repercussions in the Middle East. Right. Uh, the the additional, uh, idea of additional strikes on any ships that could be going through the Straits of Hormuz, that's something that people are going to be on the watch for very quickly. They've been messing with the oil production for the last six months, as yes. we know, with what happened in, in the Saudi oil field. And we, you know, th- we always look forward at the beginning of each year, and we talk about, well, what, what could possibly derail, uh, when you do all these check marks and everything seemed bullish, what could derail it? And we've been talking about Rumsfeld's comment, the unknown uh, unknown. The unknown was that we know the Middle East is a powder keg. Everybody knows that. The unknown unknown is that there's a possibility of a full-fledged conflict that we thought was was off the table after the American public wanted nothing to do with that and after Afghanistan and Iraq. We don't want to get bogged down in any of this. And Trump has said again and again, President Trump, that he doesn't want to do that. He's this an isolationist except for... Opens the real possibility that there could be a much, maybe not a full-fledged you know, shooting war, but something a lot more than what we were expecting. Around 8 p.m. on Thursday, the news broke that Iranian General Qasem Soleimani was killed in Iraq in a U.S. airstrike authorized by President Trump. Here's what we know. Soleimani was Iran's top military commander, considered by some to be the country's second most important political figure. He was the leader of the Quds Force. That's a special operations group inside the Iran Revolutionary Guard, a U.S.-designated foreign terrorist organization. According to the Defense Department, Soleimani was actively planning attacks on American diplomats and the U.S. military. He'd arranged recent attacks on coalition bases in Iraq and approved attacks on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. The United States also named Soleimani responsible for deaths of Americans from 2003 onward in the run-up to and duration of the Iraq War. 
In a statement released after the killing, the Defense Department explains that the strike was aimed at deterring future Iranian attack plans. We don't know what those plans were, but in a tweet after the strike, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo referred to, quote, imminent threats to American lives. President Trump has also been tweeting since last night's strike, and the Iranians have spoken out as well, vowing to take reciprocal action. That reciprocal response could be a military one, a cyber retaliation, or, of course, an economic one against American oil interests in the region. As Joe said, unknowns. Joining us right now is Ian Bremmer. He's the president of the Eurasia Group. And Ian, what does this mean? What are the next steps? Well, uh, the Iranians clearly have to retaliate to some degree. Um, and uh, the way they most likely do that is against American targets if they can get to them on the ground in Iraq. That's why the State Department said everyone should leave. Having said that, the Iranians are not looking to precipitate military strikes against Iran more broadly. And every time historically they've been faced with overwhelming military force, they have actually backed down. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that the markets don't seem to be overreacting here. They're not saying we expect conflagration in the region. You also can't call Trump a hawk. Um, I mean, every time Trump has, if he was looking for excuses to go to war with Iran, he's had ample. Right. I mean, when the Iranians no, people, took 50 percent of Saudi oil wanted to pull out of the region as much as he's possible. wanted to pull out. And he's also not been eager to engage in strikes. But so clearly it was a red line when Soleimani directly orchestrated attacks against the U.S. base. American soldiers injured one American citizen and killed. And the embassy. And then the embassy. And I think the for, for Trump, for Make America Great Again, we focus on the United States Trump, that for him was a much sharper requirement to respond. And the Iranians have now seen that that response is pretty significant. You're a policy guy, Ian, so I don't expect a, a non-nuanced answer. But is it, would you say, a good day for the world? Or we don't know yet because there could be some, some bad ramifications for the world. Uh, it's clearly the world is better off without Soleimani on it. Uh, he orchestrated um, Iran's proxy and terrorist network, built it across the entire region. He's directly responsible as well uh, for the killing of hundreds of Americans on the ground in Iraq. That's been amply documented. But if it ends up resulting in more human suffering and death, maybe it's a bad thing Which, to do it. Maybe well, you just leave them on the, you know, you contain them. But but he was uncontainable. Probably. Clearly, we've had opportunities to strike this guy before. Uh, we haven't done it. It would have been more offensive if we had tried to strike him directly in Iranian territory. Harder for the Iranians to not go after the Americans directly as opposed to through proxies if we had done that. The biggest policy issue in the near term is that it's almost impossible for the Iraqis now to allow the Americans to maintain a military presence on their ground. That was already becoming an issue. Parliament was moving quickly uh, towards a vote um, to tell the Americans to leave. That would obviously be an embarrassment for President Trump if it were to happen. As, as you're speaking, there are just headlines coming. The Iraqi speaker offers condolences to Iran over the killing of, uh, of Soleimani. And they're also saying that they would like to not see this build up or play out on Iraqi uh, territory. Sure. I mean, that's the next step. But it, what happens if the United States is actually forced out of Iraq? 
Yeah, well, I mean, one is that our ability um, to have a supply chain and intelligence for the more limited forces we have in Syria becomes more problematic. The ability to continue to proselytize the war against ISIS and other constituent radical uh, parts that are growing up in that region with power vacuum also continues to grow. Um, but Trump has said that ISIS is a much greater threat in the region than to the United States, a much greater threat to Europe than to the United States. So there's also this question of how much the Americans care. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, OPEC has much less influence today than it did five or ten years ago. The Middle East is objectively less important to American national security than it was five or ten years so ago. So do you think we see a buildup of American troops there or a continued pullback um, well, in this the is, region? This is interesting, right, because Trump has historically wanted to keep troops out of the region. Um, and yet the total troop levels of the U.S. in the Middle East today is about what it was under Obama. Right. It's increased in a couple places like Saudi Arabia. It's decreased in others. Um, the fact that Trump has just recently in response to the attack on the embassy said we're sending more troops in means it's hard for him to say oh now we don't care we're going to focus only on our much narrower interests and we're, we're not on the, we've bloodied the Iranians that's enough but Trump actually has nationalist bona fides vis-a-vis -vis Iran I mean he's the one that pulled out of the Iranian nuclear deal which one can say precipitated this level of escalation that we've seen over the last year and a half he's the one that added sanctions to Iran which helped to implode their economy down almost 10% next year. So it's not as if Trump needs to burnish the fact that he actually is prepared to escalate against America's most committed enemy in the region. The question is, is he going to be able, in the short-term glare of media, to say, okay, I'm now pulling troops out of Iraq? The State Department has said all American personnel, American citizens, should leave Iraq immediately. That's different from saying American troops can just leave makes it less likely or more likely that there's actually a, an eventual dialogue between Trump and and the mullahs. In the near term, it makes it absolutely impossible. But keep in mind, Trump is the guy that was much more interested in talking to these guys. And not necessarily the mullahs, but the president. Right. The French uh, president tried to facilitate that during the United Nations meetings. Uh, uh, Trump said he was willing to take a phone call directly to, to, to talk to him. And the Iranians said, no, he used Abe, a could, Japanese could, prime minister as well. Didn't work. Ian, could you ever see the Iranians completely acting on their, the way the rhetoric is, could you ever see them taking steps to, to just uh, act completely on, on their threats? I, I just can't see it. Can you? Uh, look, it's not as if we took out some low-ranking general. We did. I mean, we, but do they want a full conflict with the, the a superpower? The, no, they absolutely don't. But we do need to keep in mind that unlike in North Korea, where one guy runs the country, in Iran there is a battle between... And then there's the everybody else they can't control, too. There's and all so the if it looks like, you know, suddenly the Quds Force is going to lose power, they're going to implode their risk acceptance versus the United States goes up. But I would keep in mind that it, from everything we've seen from Trump so far, the idea that this is a guy looking to wag the dog really doesn't play out. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, continuing coverage of the U.S. airstrike in Iraq, co-founder of news website Axios, runs through the reactions from politicos on both sides of the aisle, including the Democratic presidential hopefuls. We'll be back in a moment. 
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. And now, more coverage of the U.S. airstrike. This next conversation is with Mike Allen, the co-founder of news website Axios. He was originally booked on our TV broadcast to discuss presidential candidate fundraising in the fourth quarter. But on days like today, we often ask guests to pivot. It's part of what makes the show so compelling on days dominated by breaking news. You'll hear from Eamon Javers, one of CNBC's Washington-based reporters, and of course, Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Let's bring in Mike Allen, uh, Axios uh, co-founder. Michael, uh, good morning. It's good to see you. Um, uh, It's nice to see that that we're getting the same sort of uh, analysis and response from both sides of the aisle uh, this morning. Um, Read that as uh, sarcasm. It's amazing, but here's the... We did read it that way. We caught on. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> You're very well. well subtle, but I, I see what you do at Axios. I see the snarky. Uh, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's that other guy, Swan, uh, who I love. Uh, anyway, you want to just summarize some of the comments? I think we have some uh, sure. tweets from uh, we have some tweets from Senator Warren. I, I, I want to talk about Joe Biden actually uh, at some point. But across the board, the right was pretty uh, positive about taking this guy out when you that 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 we can say very much so and we want to be clear america now is on a war footing and the responses from both sides reflect that so you had republican senators saying the president is following through new year's eve he said iran is going to pay a very big price all caps and we're seeing their response from democrats senator warren uh pointing out that uh this was a bad actor he was responsible for hundreds of American deaths and yet warning against escalation. Uh, We were asking about Biden, uh, uh, the former vice president, saying that the president threw a stick of dynamite in a tinderbox. Those are candidates, though. Listen to what Speaker Pelosi says. Speaker Pelosi, who's uh, third uh, in power in the government, says Congress was not consulted. In her statement, she uses the word escalation twice. She says what she wants Congress to be briefed not only on next steps here, but also on this escalation in deployment of American troops. Is there anything to that? I mean, to, to do something like this, does the president have to consult with Congress to take out this guy after, after what happened at the embassy? This will That'll be uh, debated and disputed for sure. Congress is going to inject itself in a scoop here from that other guy, as you said, uh, the great Uh, Jonathan Swan uh, said that uh, sources close to the Trump national security team say that something that the White House has been very worried about and is prepared for is a cyber reaction from Iran, that there could be a cyber attack, that that is the surest way that Iran could uh, attack stateside. And we heard General Stavridis a morning Joe saying the United States is vulnerable there in the cyber uh, realm. And so, like, that's something of great uh, interest to your viewers. And that is the kind of asymmetric response that we'll be watching for from Iran. 
People keep saying asymmetric response, Mike. What, what does that mean? What are we prepared for? And what are the political ramifications, depending on what that uh, response is? Yeah, so it's a non-superpower attacking a superpower, as you know. And you can do that uh, through uh, cyber. You can do that uh, through attacks uh, elsewhere, maybe not directly on American uh, interests. And uh, so uh, finding other ways to uh, respond as they vow that they will and they're sure to. That's why there's so much alarm around the world. No, no chance Iran doesn't respond. The question is how, where, who are they going to take on? I, I've got people sending in some, some comments from uh, the late John McCain that, speaking about this guy years ago, uh, when are we going to do something? Is, is this going to go unchallenged? Are we going to let this get by? Are we going to let this slide? I mean, this goes all the way back to the coal, if you can believe that. Mike, yes. this guy's been, and, and probably thousands of Americans. Now, do you, do you have any firsthand knowledge on whether we know he was there planning more attacks on Americans? You, the, the White House is saying that. It, it, do you have uh, separate evidence that that's true? Can we believe well, that? Well, so uh, the uh, administration is saying they have intelligence about planning attacks, but just look at what he's done. Look at the track record uh, back when uh, General David Petraeus was commander of coalition forces in Iraq. He was warning uh, Dexter Filkins writes in his great uh, profile from yeah. 2013, writes that he was warning this is an evil person. This is someone who, through IEDs, other devices, uh, uh, cost many American lives and uh, is someone who uh, greatly right. increased both the risk... And the toll for America. I think that the the Democrats and the presidential candidates on on the Democratic side, Mike, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think they're treading a little bit lightly because this was a really bad guy, and and it's tough to say anything. And and my point earlier was that if they just let it all hang out, we would have heard wag the dog by now, and we haven't heard that because we're in the middle of impeachment and all these other things. And, and that would have been Schumer. I, I still think he's going to say that. Uh, at this point, that this is a wag the dog because he just had the latest email or whatever. Is that above the, what, what they're likely to do on the left? The first half of what you're saying for sure is true. And that it is you look at what has been done. Look at has been planned. Look at the pictures we've seen from the last few days. Very few Americans uh, are going to object uh, to uh, that. But uh, this is a great risk. And The New York Times pointing out this morning, this is something that George W. Bush and Barack Obama walked away from all the coverage last night from uh. the region. We heard long in American sites. Uh, no one uh, uh, went after him. This was the moment. You probably only hear something like this from me, Mike uh, and Eamon. But I, I just when I read Vice President Biden's comments. So let's see. Against the bin Laden raid for the second Iraq war against the first for splitting Iraq into three against the surge. Uh, Secretary Gates, who was uh, President Obama's defense secretary. I could tell this is where you were going. I knew you were you going. You know here. that quote. Of course. You know that quote said in his book, Biden has been wrong about every major security and foreign policy issue for the last 40 years. So I, I can't help it when I know that. I, and I read this. It's just for me, it's tainted. But what I will say, yeah. and uh, this will be very interesting in the next few hours, Vice President Biden was there. We've seen the pictures of the vice president in the Situation Room, unlike so many other people on the trail, he knows the intelligence, 
knows yeah, the options, knows the choices, and so in hearing his view of what we've done here, what was considered, why it wasn't done in the past, all is going to be extremely illuminating. Okay, Eamon. Uh, I want to bring you a little additional information oh, that we're good. getting in from NBC's Richard Excellent. Engel, who has now spoken to the president of Iraq uh, on the telephone. So we're getting some reaction from the Iraqi side. Now Richard Engel reporting that Iraqi President Barham Saleh is saying the situation in Iraq is very fragile, very precarious. I urge restraint on all sides. Iraq cannot be condemned to another cycle of violence. We've had too many wars over the last four decades. The situation now is very dangerous, no doubt. And that is why I am urging calm. So that's the reaction from the Iraqi side of all this. And there'll be some questions about whether the Iraqis were looped into this, participated in it in any way, or whether this came uh, as news to them as it did to us, even though it happened uh, right at the Baghdad airport. Uh, Eamon brought us uh, the, the Bolton comment, too, earlier, Mike. Were, were you surprised? that uh, he was, he, I thought he was voted off the island. Is there... Uh, he, he's back. He's back at, he, with what he was saying about... Uh, the president's handling of North Korea, I, I was surprised that he would be so positive. I, I guess he, he, you know, if it's hawkish, she's for it. Well, a different way to say it is not being positive, but being realistic. He, he too, knows the intelligence. And, obviously, incredible differences, some of which we've heard about, some of which we have not, uh, that he had internally both expressed and unexpressed. But what he said there, like, is... Uh, very uh, helpful reflection of what they knew, what they were thinking about, what was considered when this decision was made. Eamon, thank you. And uh, Mike, Eamon, see you soon. Uh, Thank you all. Next on Squawk Pod, Apple's share price has hit a new milestone, crossing the $300 threshold for the first time. We'll speak to famed venture capitalist and one of the early investors in Apple, Alan Patrikoff. I mean, it's been a great run for Apple. I mean, this has been a terrific year, and I frankly don't see how this thing is going to stop. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Everybody, we're in the C-block. We're in the C-block. You're listening to Squawk Pod. There's a strong chance many of you, podcast listeners, are enjoying Squawk Pod on an Apple device. Well, yesterday, shares of that technology giant hit a new all-time high, topping $300 each, prompting several Wall Street institutions to bullishly raise price targets on Apple stock. Apple's market cap now stands at $1.3 trillion. For some context, that is nearly 11 IBMs. Our final guest today is venture capitalist Alan Patrikoff. He's the founder of Graycroft Ventures, where he invests in early-stage growth companies and entrepreneurs. But he was also one of Apple's early backers quite a while ago. Patrikoff was a second-round investor in the company as a startup in the late 1970s, five years before the release of the first Mac computer. He joined Joe and Becky today to get to the core of Apple's success, as well as the recent news that Richard Plepler, the former head of HBO, has signed a production deal with Apple TV+. Here's that conversation. 
Al, are you still an investor in Apple? I, I wish. No, I'm <laughs> so, it's a long, long time ago since we were invested. I was thinking yesterday when we invested in Apple, it had a $60 million valuation. Oh. valuation. <laughs> and that was... Uh, Try multiplying that. Yeah. To three, and three, then it went back down to, I think it was... When Scully left, and we brought in, they brought in uh, Gil Emilio. Do you remember that? Oh, that God, that was a short run, yeah. Yeah, but he, it was $9 billion yeah. then, I think, and now it's $9 trillion. Oh, no, yeah, $1.3 $1. trillion. Yeah, right, not quite yeah. $9 trillion. No. I, I'm not saying it's never going to be there, though, I'll tell you. <laughs> you, you Betting against this. Right. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because a year ago today, Apple stock tumbled. It yeah. was a very big day. It took down the entire market because Apple said that they were seeing some tensions with the China trade talks that was causing problems and uh, slower sales in China and other places. What, uh, where it started are out at 100, as at 150, went down to 140, ended up at 300. I mean, it's, uh, it's been a great run for Apple. I mean, this has been a terrific year. And I, frankly, don't see how this thing is going to stop. I mean, I think he's got an engine that's... Uh, you know, I was looking the other day. They had, I, as I counted them, 21 new product introductions last year. I mean, they're refinements of... The new earbuds the, and different yeah, things like every, that? Yeah, the the new phones. Mac Pro, you know, do you have facial recognition or not? I mean, everything changes a little bit, but uh, it's, uh, it's not... Uh, uh, it's amazing. I mean, you know, the last year and a half, maybe two years, I think uh, investors look at this stock very differently, too. No longer necessarily just a tech company, but also a consumer company, a consumer products company that has built an ecosystem that kind of loops people in. It really is. It's almost when you go see the lines. I live right near an Apple store. There's never without a line. And we're in a residential district. You go to another city, always a line. You go, of course, the 59th Street store, there's always a line. There, someone is coming to an Apple store for something uh, all the time. And to me, I think this new applications in the uh, healthcare area and what they're going to do with the watch and what they're going to be able to tell you about your, not just your sleep, but all your, I mean, they can measure almost anything out of this. Yeah. Uh, it just, it's, it's just incredible. And then you top that off with the uh, earbuds. Which I don't have the latest number, but the I, 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 yeah, I got to believe it's going to be a, a, approaching 100 million of these out today uh, and growing like crazy. I'm, I'm sure it was a very big Christmas present. Uh, you may have more of the up-to-date facts, but I think it's they've got a great engine going. Alan, you said you couldn't think of anything, you couldn't see anything stopping this. But a year ago today, people were very concerned about the China trade talks and that being a huge issue. Tim Cook's done probably a better job than just about anybody in terms of being able to walk a very fine line. But there is the chance that those uh, trade talks go south and the tensions uh, kind of flare back up there. Well, there's, uh, there are always exogenous factors that are going to affect the markets. why I got out of the running public money and got into the venture capital business originally because I, I, I woke up every day and some, some, something affected something I owned that I, I had no knowledge of and it just hit us. And I said, I want to be something where I can get closer to, you know, closer to the action. And that's what the venture capital Wasn't to make about. more money? No, no, it wasn't. That's, it was that was the end result, though, wasn't it? That was a good move. Well, it was enjoyment. I mean, I really yeah. got more interested in being involved in the early stages of building businesses. Yeah. Which is how we got involved in Apple. Apple was in that stage at the time. You never thought not a public company. You could have never. No one could have thought that. Oh. We were talking about that the other day. I just walk, anybody walking by has an iPhone. How do, you, how do you invent something that everybody in the entire country has one of? And then do it again with this AirPods. That's why I say I don't think, I don't know how 
you knock them off. I mean, something else is going to come along. There every day. There's something else that would. Well, my music comes from Apple, but soon my TV is going to come from Apple. I, I mean, uh, I, I, you read, of course, about Richard Blepler joining. Yes, uh, I and, saw that. And yeah. Richard is—he's a formidable resource. I mean, he's very talented. I mean, we've all watched Bright Little Lies and uh, uh, Game of Thrones and all the other stuff. He's a very creative force. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Next week is the first full week of the new year. We'll have the latest market-moving news, interviews with a few CEOs, and maybe thoughts about the Golden Globes. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Uh, Clear. Thanks, guys. 